Welcome to Brotherly Pod here. Flyers AD here, whatever. It's Thursday, August 25, 2022 here. The eve of Dan the Flyer fam's 26th birthday. Holy shit, 26. <sighs> Getting old. So how, how much booze do you got on uh, on hand? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> because it's your birthday or because we're just, talking well, Just flyers. in general, I, I suppose. Yeah, the Flyer season's coming. I believe a month from yesterday was the first preseason game. So, Are you excited at all? I do like, have to say, yesterday was the first time all summer since they stopped playing in April where I went, you know what, I could really sit down and watch a hockey game tonight. And So I'm getting the itch again, but excited is not the right word. But is it like... Is there anything, like, I got to admit, like, last season, I thought they were going to be good, and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so, like, I was excited. And I think, didn't you think they were going to be good as well? Maybe not as much as me, yeah. but. They were not, and, not that bad, anyway. Yeah, and, but I guess, like, are is there anything for this upcoming season that actually, like, says that for you, you're like, yeah, you know what, I'm looking forward to seeing this. You know, I, I I think there's a lot missing from this roster, but this defense could be interesting. You have Carter Hart, you have Couturier and Hayes coming back, plus Tortorella. You know, if he can whip this team at least into defensive shape and the defense can be fine and Hart can be at least slightly above average, there is the potential to steal some wins here. Um, I think the lack of offensive talent is painful. It's going to be absolutely brutal this year to watch them try and score goals. But, you know, you do have enough defensive responsibility on this team. You know, if D'Angelo can come in and not be a complete fuck up in his own end and bring the best out of Provorov, you're good. If Sandman Ristolainen and the odd couple pairing, if they can come back and look good through most of the season, York and Braun should be fine on the third pair. You know, like... There are ways where this team could theoretically steal a couple wins or two, but, you know, it would have been so much easier to get excited if there was a, you know, Johnny Gaudreau or Alex Debrincat here or something of that, because I, I do think this offense is where this team is probably going to struggle the hardest this season. Yeah, offense is going to be, <laughs> it's going to be brutal, honestly. Like, it's, there's no offensive catalyst, right? And, no. you know, obviously, like, I had this conversation earlier with Jason Mertidis and like kind of around Sean Couturier and yeah, you know, he's, if he's back to healthy, he's certainly going to make a difference in terms of like all areas of the ice. He certainly helps make other guys better around him, but like he's never been that offensive catalyst. Right. And I'd still like, if he plays, let's say 75 to 82 games, he's good for what? Like 60, 65 points. I would say more around there. Yeah. And, like, look, we know that he probably had a little inflated offensive numbers with Claude Giroux in, let's say, 2017-18 uh, and 18-19. But, uh, like, Sean Couture is a standalone first-line player, I think. You know, maybe best suited for a second-line center on, like, an elite, elite team. But certainly a passable 1C. But, again, like, he doesn't bring that dynamic offensive element. And then you assume that Travis Konechny is going to be on his right wing and... Travis Konechny is kind of in the same boat where it's just like, yeah, he's a passable top liner, but if you're play if he's playing with two guys better around him, you know what I mean? Like I've always made the comparable of like, if he's playing in Winnipeg beside Mark Scheifling and Kyle Connor, or back in the day when Johnny Gaudreau was part of the Calgary Flames, if he played alongside Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm on his right wing. And it's just, it's tough when you're in a league that is so driven and dominated by offense, 
and you see this team that has so much lacking in the offensive department. And I guess that's why it's very easy to not be all too excited going into this season. Yeah. And, and, you know, Couturier is fine. Konechny, for what he is, is fine. But, you know, you just don't have that guy that's going to produce. And, and Giroux carried those two offensively for a very long time now. And I'm sure they will, you know, get points without him. But this team without Giroux, you know, who this offense has cycled through for the last 15 years, it's going to be interesting. And you really didn't replace him. Joel Farabee's going to be in the shell for the first few months of the season. You know, I... I, just looking at this lineup here, especially at forward, this is a, a very, very underwhelming group um, when it comes to offensive production. So maybe somebody like Tyson Forrester shows up sooner rather than later, you know, and this is where having a, you know, elite playmaker like Johnny Gaudreau would have helped out tremendously is, you know, it would have made a Forrester's jump to the NHL a whole lot easier if he had somebody to actually dish him the puck every now and again. But, <clears throat> you know, we shall see how this ends up working out. But, yeah, I think defensively they should be fine but I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, 2-1 games this year if they're at their peak defensively because this offense may be, uh, may be brutal. There are some players who I expect to make the team who I am excited to see. Like, Owen Tippett is a guy who is intriguing to me just because, like, we barely saw him with the – or we did. We got, what, 20 games out Something of him? Something like that. But, you know, he showed up later in the year. He's not part of, like, that old guard. He is pretty much still a brand-new player. I, you know, he has, you know, I hate this word, but he does seem to have a lot of upside. I think he has a very good shot. I think that he generated the most chances of any Flyers forward last season late in the year By after he showed margin. up. <laughs> so I think his finishing it needs to be worked on, but I think he has all the right tools to help in that department and primarily on the power play. He's just a guy that reeks of a good power play guy, especially if they put him in that trigger spot, the old Giroux uh, um, office on the left half wall. And I never thought I would say this, but I'm kind of interested to see what happens with Morgan Frost, maybe mostly because I know that if he does shit the bed, that we will never see him again. And I firmly believe that. But I'm just curious if after Mike Yo seemingly got through to the guy after like what seemed like endless months of like sending him down, bring him back up. Is he playing wing? Is he playing center? I think the best thing Mike Yo did last season was his work with some of the younger players. And, you know, Morgan Frost is a prime example of that at the end of the season. And I think that he played well as a center with Owen Tippett and Noah Cates that finished the year. And look, I'm not ever going to buy into the Claude Giroux Jr. stuff. I don't think he's ever going to be a 60, 65-point player. But I'm wondering if he could maybe find himself on a track where he could end up, end up being a 40 to 50-point type player who could help you on the power play. And he's a guy that, again, never thought I would say this, but he's a guy I'm kind of interested to see this season. If there was ever a time to step up and you know become that offensive catalyst, now would be the time. Um, I assume he probably starts the season at 3C. Uh, he has to. Yeah, unless they put Lawton there and put Frost on the wing. But, you know, either way, he's probably going to be in the middle six to start the year. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, if he can step up and at least be somewhat of a playmaking guy, you know, maybe not a, a top-end guy, but, you know, makes himself somewhat useful um, from an offensive perspective, it'll it'll definitely help ease the pain uh, a little bit. But, uh, yeah, curious to see what he's got, but uh, my expectations for Frost are, relatively limited these days and rightfully so right like even from an offensive perspective he still didn't really overwhelm you even when he was quote playing well last season right and I think for Frost like and look obviously there have been issues with Flyers development so I'm not going to put it all on the player but it seemed like he didn't really know who he was like was he supposed to be just an all-offense winger was he supposed to be you know, uh, a two-way centerman. And, you know, whenever he came up under AV, it seemed like AV would automatically put him on the wing with, like, Giroux and Konechny or Giroux and Atkinson. And he just had no time to try and make uh, Morgan Frost a full-time NHL center. And for a coach like AV, who was a win-now coach and could be damned with, you know, progression and development and all that, I understood it. And I thought that 
when Frost would come up under AV, especially last season before AV got the boot and he would play on the left side with Giroux, I thought he actually looked decent. And it was only when Yo came in and insisted him play center where he really kind of fell off the rails and spent, what, two trips down in Lehigh? And look, I agree. Like, I don't think that Morgan Frost had a place on this team if he was just going to become another middle six winger. I thought that the only path for him on this team was to be a center. So I liked the way that Mike Yo handled him. But along the way, there were some growing pains. And look, it seemed like he got his game on track last year towards the end of the season when he was paired with uh, Owen Tippett. But like you said, offensively, he has never really shown to be that player, at least for, uh, when he's played down the middle, that everyone dreamed he would be, what, five, six years ago? Yeah, and, uh, you know, that that line, the Cates and Tippett line, did work well. That could very reasonably be your third line to open the season. Um, I would assume so. Yeah, I, I, I mean, in a perfect world, I would not have JVR in the top six, but... You know, a top line of JVR, Couturier, and TK in 2022 is just how we all imagined it was going, right? <sighs> but <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I could see Torts. Like, I feel like Torts is going to fall in love with Scott Lawton, and I could see Lawton being up there. It and then you Lawton, have... Yeah. Well, I mean, like... But I think I, Lawton always worked his best with Hayes. Yeah, line, you're right. Second line. I think that that duo has always been very good. Put Atkinson on that line. Yeah. I mean, in some configuration, the top six is going to be Lawton, JVR, Couturier, Hayes, Atkinson, Konechny, right? More than likely, yeah. And then you have the third line that you just put out, and then your fourth line is going to have Delorier. <laughs> Delorier, <there>. Brown, McEwen. <laughs> Well, I mean, I would assume that Lazinski has the inside track. In a perfect like, world, yes, I would put Lazinski uh, making the NHL roster. But, you know, giving these uh, shitheads the benefit of the doubt these days is uh, hard to do. Well, it's because Lazinski is the ball kind of not in his court to stay healthy. I mean, he's one of your only players in this entire fucking roster that can actually play center. So I would assume that he has the, the role on this one, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And then I guess McEwen, but then, you know, you would want it to theoretically be Allison. Do you Allison. think they lose McEwen on waivers? That feels like where this ultimately ends up going. You think they waive McEwen and they lose him on waivers? I think they, whether they lose him or not, will be up for debate, but I do think they waive him. You really? You think they waive Zach McEwen? If Luzinski makes the roster. Do you I think just... they'd waive Brown first. You waive Brown and then have. <laughs> to Lazinski on a line with McEwen and Delorier? Jesus. I <laughs> yeah. guess Brown's not that much of an improvement over either one of them, but man. Well, like, look, Delorier is contrary to much belief. Like, he can actually play hockey. Like, he's just not going to give you anything in the way of offense. But, like, he's a decent enough defensive player. He's not, like, a liability out there. Like, McEwen is kind of just, like, you know, not the greatest player, but, you know, he does his thing. But I, I don't think that Deloria is a terrible fourth liner. Like, I think he's a perfectly fine fourth line player to have. But you could speak to Lazinski better than me. Like, what kind of player is Tanner Lazinski? Is he a guy that could generate offense? Or is he kind of destined to be just like a fourth line player in the NHL? See, I don't think he's a fourth liner. And I think he kind of falls in the same boat as Morgan Frost in this sense of like, if you want to get the most out of him, don't give him, you know, this stupid shutdown role on the fourth line for seven minutes a night. You know, that, that's just not, that's not where he's going to succeed. I don't think he's going to be a gigantic offensive producer, but I think he would actually flourish more in a three C role with somebody like Tippett rather than just fourth line grinder. I mean, when he got recalled in 2020, the first time he was out there basically for the sole purpose of taking faceoffs, you know, and when AV was here and, he he does have enough offensive jump in his game where I think he could could produce a little bit. And I guess he's fine from a two-way aspect as well. Like, I don't think he's going to be a liability in that sense. But, you know, I, I just think he's one of those guys that falls more into the quad A section. You know, the Morgan Frost, he's probably too good for the AHL, but where the hell he falls into the NHL, how, uh, the NHL lineup is... is, is probably up for debate a little bit, especially with this lineup, which just isn't very good to begin with. There's just no way to properly insulate somebody like him coming up. 
Well, it's it just like, look, I, I don't watch the Phantoms and I'm not like a big like prospects guy. So I can't really like say what where he fits. So I, I'll trust your judgment. It just feels that every time Lazinski has been like penciled into a roster, it's always been for 4C. So like, like, is there a player on the Phantoms right now? And obviously the Flyers are not deep organizationally at all at the center ice position, but like. Is there like a younger player that you think could make the team as the 4C that would fit that role? No. Uh, I, maybe you could throw Jackson Cates back there if you really want to, but, you know, I, I don't think it's more just another waste of a roster spot. You may as well just keep Patrick Brown if that's the, the case. But I don't know. I don't think they've got any other centers. Max Willman, you want to give him another go? You know, something like that. But... I, I, I would assume it's Lazinski's job to lose, but I just don't think that would be the best way to properly deploy him in that sense. But, you know, he was basically the second-line center for the Phantoms behind uh, Cal O'Reilly last year for, you know, when he came back from his injury and, and looked very good doing so. There's definitely an offensive pop to his game. He does have a uh, quite a bit of speed as well. So, like I said, I, 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 don't, I don't think he's going to suffer in that role. If he makes the NHL, it probably will be 4C. I would not be surprised if that's where he starts to open the year. But just feels like there would be a, a better way to utilize somebody like him. Yeah, and the other interesting wrinkle in all this is, like, where like where does Wade Allison fit in it? And obviously he's still unsigned. Why I, I, have they not re-signed this guy yet? He's the last I, notable one. I mean, you've got Hayden Hodgson and I believe Hogerberg is the other one that's still an RFA, but Allison is the only notable one that uh, still not signed. Look, I've asked about a bit. I don't get a sense of it being worrisome. Like, I saw a thread about it yesterday, uh, or was it today, with the LA Kings, who they haven't signed two of their notable RFAs, Mikey Anderson and someone else. But the thing is, is that when you have RFAs, who have no arbitration rights. And for a guy like Wade Allison, like it sucks to say because I do really, really like him as a player. And I think he's an NHL player today if he could stay healthy. He unfortunately doesn't have a whole lot of leverage because of how often he's been injured and it sucks. And I'm not really sure specifically what the holdup is, but I can't imagine that he holds out into into the season because at this point, like I don't think any other team would really be all that interested in him because of the injury history. He is completely controlled. He has no arb rights. He's in a no leverage situation. I remember uh, seeing uh, my colleague Dennis Bernstein mentioned that on the feed as well. So look like it, it is a bit frustrating, but I, I wouldn't be worried about it. I'm just wondering that assuming he does sign for whatever it may be, and if he proves he can make the team, and I know, I believe as Brent Flair has said in the past that he doesn't really view Allison as a fourth-line player, and nor do I, but, like, I see this Flyers team, and, you know, you don't really have a number one line. It feels All four like lines you, are the exact same caliber of player. It, it feels like you have, like, a top... It, you, it feels like you have a Group A and a Group B. Like, Group A is slightly better and group B is slightly worse. But, like, all the top six guys are the same. They're and all, all interchangeable. The all the bottom six are interchangeable. Quite frankly, the top nine is probably all interchangeable. Yeah, like, yeah, if you're being honest, I would say, like, the top four or five forwards are in their, in one class, and then everyone else is interchangeable. Yes. That's how I put it. Like, Couturier, Couturier, Konechny, Hayes, and Atkinson are in one one uh, tier and Farabee when he gets back. And would you put Lawton in that tier or not even? Uh, maybe. Tweener? Yeah, probably. Because he's better than, he would be better than Group B, but I don't know if he's quite to level Group A. So he's a tweener. So yeah. he's in a, so he's the middle guy. He's the middle six guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, and then everyone else is interchangeable. So like, would they be okay having, let's say, a quote fourth line of Delorier, Lazinski, and Allison? Because Fuck, no, I would all do this, that. well, all this to say is just like, even though that's quote the fourth line, how like are they going to be getting a lot less minutes than Kate's Frost and Tippett? Probably not. No. And like, I mean, at that point, like, if you just swap Delorier and 
Cates, you can make the case that, you know, the Lazinski line is the third line. You know what Fuck, I mean? That could be your first line at this point. <laughs> and then at that point, it would beg the question what you do with McEwen and Brown. Are you going to carry two forwards on your NHL roster? Which you could. Like, it feels like it's destined that, um, that, uh, what is it? Uh, Lallis is going to start the young LTIR, so the cap won't really be an issue from a day to day, uh, perspective. So you could carry McEwen and Brown as your 13th, 14th forward. Nick Sealer as your 7th D. So. Yeah, it's possible. I just just hope he comes back and hope he makes the team. And once he does, he should get the captain and an 8x8 contract and uh, be here for the rest of the time because Wade Allison is fucking awesome. Yeah, no, Wade Allison's, he's a great player. And he's something that they need, right? Like, could you imagine? He checks having... so many boxes. It's just, like, I, I I know people, you know, he's one of those guys, like, people talk about him like he's Michael Neuver, you know, just glass bones and paper skin, you know, going to go out there and, and uh, breaks his leg if he gets sneezed on. But, like, he was fine the last two months of the season. He only had two injuries last year. He hurt his leg in uh, rookie camp, which means most of the high ankle sprain. He broke some kind of bone then around Christmas, whenever the hell it was. But when he came back, he was fine for the last two months of the year. And I think part of the reason with that was, is like when Tony used to cover the team, um, he would tweet out like, oh, you know, the trainer's looking at Allison on the bench. And it'd just be like some typical thing, but everybody on flyer, oh my God, he's hurt again. You know, that kind of thing. Kind of dramatic with, with the ongoings of he was, but he was fine for the last little bit of the time. He missed one game because he almost got his fucking hand cut off because the defenseman stepped on his wrist. And I believe he uh, missed one game with a back issue that was fine afterwards. You know, it was just resting him up. So... He's. I. It's not quite as bad as people tend to make it out to be. I know the injury bug has kind of followed him through his career. I don't think this is a guy that you're ever going to see have an 82 game season. But he's not quite, you know, Michael Neuverth, good for you know five games a year kind of thing either. So it is a bit overblown. I think once he gets to the NHL and more people have eyes on him and can see what he brings to the team, and and especially if you're there in the Wells Fargo Center live, if you're one of the 500 people who bought a ticket for that game, you know, you'll <laughs> you'll be able to see what he does. Because so much of the his game is not only is he good in the ice, but it's the personality that he brings, it's the energy that he brings, the shit that you cannot truly appreciate unless you're there watching him live. And you know, I think if he does make the team, a lot of people will uh, their opinions will turn on the guy because I think right now they just see him as some you know just another wasted prospect injury guy, and that's that's just not that's just not what he is. Yeah, he's just got to string together a co- like for he's got to establish himself in the NHL, which I kind of thought he already did in 2021 but uh he's just got to do it again uh this coming season and then you know even if he gets hurt here and there he's just got to find a way to establish himself in the nhl for a decent stretch and i mean i guess we all we've talked about the defense a decent amount here um because like we think that it's probably going to be the biggest strength of this team but like obviously you've had a lot of people kind of been comparing pro Rob Sanheim that it feels that like it's coming to a head that eventually one of the, these two guys have got to go. I know you want to touch on it. Like, do you feel that's where this is ultimately heading? It's gotta be right. And you know, you, you, you sent out the tweet last week that they could potentially be looking to resign Sanheim. And I was, <laughs> I was alone in my house in my kitchen in the afternoon. And I just yelled at the top of my lungs. What? at the idea that they were possibly going to resign this guy. Why? 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 Why would you resign Travis Sanheim? I, I don't I don't understand what your idea is here and just I mean, you know, we've talked about the Hextall era and what this team would have looked like in 2014, 2015, if Hextall tore down properly, if he got rid of Giroux and Simmons and Voracek and Couturier when they were all young and good, you know, the King's Ransom they could have gotten for these guys. And now it's like we're start. I start to ask the same question about Chuck Fletcher. What if he sold Scott Lawton two years ago at the trade deadline instead of re-signing him? What if he got rid of Couturier after his Selkie season instead of re-signing him? What if he got Aristolainen instead of re-signing him? You know, you're passing up on a lot of assets here, and you're signing these guys long-term to contracts that nobody's going to fucking touch with a 10-foot pole, and they're going to be old and broken down by the time they're done. You know, 
Travis Sanham, I believe, turns 27 in the spring. Like, holy fuck. Why? I mean, what are you going to get this guy for? Like, six by six? Six by six and a half? That's 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 not great, especially when you already have Ivan Provorov under contract. So, listen, I realize I've never been, you know, <laughs> I've never been uh, understood the appeal of, you know, Travis Sanheim the way some people do. But if you had to tell me right now to pick a player to serve as the Flyers' top defenseman, either Ivan Provorov or Travis Sanheim, I'm picking Ivan Provorov 10 out of 10 times. And I realize Sanheim's had an, uh, a decent season last year. He saw an uptick in ice time, but Provorov is still playing the heavy minutes of the bunch. And I, I just, I, I don't get it. You know, what's your plan if you do resign him six by six? Do you get rid of Provorov? And if you're getting rid of Provorov, let's look at the Arizona Coyotes for a minute. They've been trying to ship out Jacob Chikrin for a year now. Chikrin is younger, cheaper, and just as good, if not better, than Provorov. And nobody, you know, they've not received an offer that was worthwhile. So do you trust Chuck Fletcher, of all people, to get proper market value for Provorov in a trade? That doesn't seem ideal. Do you then, you know, what happens if you get to Provorov and keep Sanheim? Do you put Sanheim as the number one D? That seems like a fucking bad idea. He'd be over his head. Do you give that role to Cam York? I mean, you could talk about trial by fire, you know, and just hope that he'd be ready for that role. But I don't know, man. It just feels like Sanheim, if, especially even if have Sanheim has a good year, you let him have a good year, you go into the trade deadline, you flip him. I mean, he would probably want be one of, if not the best left-handed defenseman on the market. You'd get at least an extra first-round pick in this draft that they loved so much that just a fucking month ago, they were didn't trade, you know, didn't get rid of JVR because they valued their pick too much in this draft. So you should, theoretically, they should value an extra first-round pick in this draft that they could get this year by trading Sanheim. You move up York, you call up Zamula next year, you roll Provorov, York, Zamula on the left side. Oh, kumbaya, whatever. It, it, that's York for, you know, one-sixth the price that you would be paying for Sanheim. I just, in no world is there any kind of thing where I see the benefit of Sanheim. At least with Risto Linen, at least Risto was a right-handed defenseman. Because in a perfect world, theoretically, resigning him means that you would not have to give up a ton of money and assets for somebody like Tony D'Angelo. But ah, see what the fuck they did there. I don't know. I just don't understand. I, I don't understand how they could possibly make this mistake again by giving another fucking nothing happening dude a long-term contract when this team is so beyond fucked financially already. It just doesn't make any goddamn sense. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how how they could possibly consider resigning this guy at this point. Yeah. Um... That was a lot, I realize. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, <laughs> but no, you're you're not wrong in most of it, to be honest. Like, it's... I, the one thing about Chuck Fletcher, for good or for worse, because sometimes I think it's been good and sometimes I think it's been bad, is that it, he seemed to be very quick on the trigger in re-signing players recently. Like except Couture, Wade Allison. Except Wade Allison. But, like, I mean more to, like, big-time contract extensions. You know, like, he did it with Katuri seemingly out of left field last August. Then he kind of did it with Joel Farabee. Was it early last season when they announced that extension? I think so. And, like, look, those are just two examples. And I think for the most part, those were good contracts, all things considering. But, and look, I know that they like Sanheim. I know that they really feel like they've unlocked him as a player. And, like, look, I, I'm the biggest Ivan Provorov fan you can meet, so, like, obviously I'm subjective here. I think Ivan Provorov's the better defenseman. Yes. I think he's proven to be the better defenseman, and I think he's on an incredible cap dollar, all things considering. I know people like to say that he's being paid, like, an elite-level defenseman. That's Not nonsense. <laughs> I think his most comparable contracts are Josh Morrissey, Essa Lindell, and Matt Dumba. So, I mean, that's what number twos and some number threes in there. Uh, so, I mean, I love the cost certainty on Provorov 2. He has another three years. So it's not like, you know, you have to decide between one guy who's on an expiring deal or whatever. You like Sanheim is. And like, but like, look, all this aside, let's say you want to choose Sanheim. Okay. I just don't know why you would do it now. I was surprised when I got the text saying that they would like to do it soon, depending on if Sanheim's camp was is receptive to it. Um, if you want to go that route, that's fine. But I don't know why you do that ahead of the trade deadline 
or not even ahead of the trade deadline, but just like this far ahead out. Of the season in general. What the fuck happens when you were saying this guy six by six and then he looks like, you know, 2020 Travis Sanheim? Then what? Well, it's also like, for, forget about Sanheim, like for a second, it's more like then people know that you're trading Provorov. Like they know and they're, and teams are going to know that then you have to move out one of these guys, right? Because then that probably means... just keep them both and get rid of the kids, get rid of York and Zabula and watch them go blossom somewhere else. <laughs> but even at that, like, I don't think like, look, Ellis is going to come back, I guess, eventually. I would assume he gives it one more kick at the can at some point. Yeah. So you, you're going to have Ellis at 6.25. Sanheim, I assume, is going to get six. At least. Like, yeah. Uh, I look at the um, who, uh, I look at the Tory Krug contract kind of something like in that range. Like a seven, or even if they give him eight years, like <laughs> some, something like that. So let's just say six million dollars for him, six point seven five for Provorov, five point one for uh, Ristolainen, five for D'Angelo. Like you can't be paying your blue line almost forty million dollars, right? Yeah, like five defensemen. So eventually something's got to give. And I, it's going to be one one of Provorov and Sanheim because you have Cam York, because you have Igor Zamula, because, you know, Emil Andre really kind of exploded at the He at least World put himself Union. on the map. Yeah, put himself on a map. And then you also have, that, you know... Like, the... That's the thing is, like, you got York and Zamula. Like, again, with the Ristolainen thing, like, I at least understood that because you have no help coming on the right side theoretically. I mean, I guess they signed Adderd afterwards and, you know, what becomes of him, I guess, is TBD. But, you know, who knows? I just, you've got York and Zamula who could both reasonably play in the NHL right now. And you're going to cut the legs out from both of them to play Provorov and Sanheim. That just doesn't make sense. And, I mean, if they value Sanheim over Provorov, that, I mean, that's a tall task trading Provorov in this economy, in this current situation that the NHL is in, because nobody's making any moves. It'd be so much easier just to part ways with Sanheim at the trade deadline when he's not making a ton of money and his value is theoretically worth it. I feel like if, especially if you wait to the trade deadline to part ways with one of them, like, Sanheim would probably get the best return just because he doesn't have that contract to commit to. $6.7 million, while good value for Provorov, a lot of teams can't easily work $6.7 million into the cap right now. Yeah, and that's the issue is that then... If teams just tried to bend Chuck Fletcher over the barrel for JVR's $7 million, what the hell makes people think 6.7 is that much more attractive? Yeah, well, I mean, at least, like, Provorov's, like, a relevant hockey player, but I, I, no. I, I, I understand that, but I don't they, know. They could move him. He could move him, but it's just, like, are you going to get what he's worth? I think that's the bigger issue. Probably like if you not. Treat, like, if you treat Ivan Provorov for, let's say, like, a first-round pick next year in next year's draft, and, like, look, I, I, I just use the LA Kings because I feel like if Provorov's going to go anywhere, it's going to be to LA. It just feels like that's where this Provo is going. Provorov up a Drew Doughty on a young, up-and-coming defense core with a yep. good direction and team, and he's going to look like a fucking bonafide superstar because, for some reason, they've spent Provorov's entire seven-year career giving him shitty fucking defense partners except 60-some games of Matt Niskin and before the world went to shit. Because yep. for some reason, they just can't, you know, give this guy an honest-to-goodness top right hand defenseman to work with. Yeah, and we're going to see it with D'Angelo. Like, I, I think that pairing is going to work well. But let's just say he goes to the Los Angeles Kings and they trade him for a first-round pick and, I don't know, one of, like, Alex Turcotte, even though I don't, I think he's lost all of his, uh, you know, hype after being drafted high in, what was it, 2018, 2019, whatever it was. Yeah. Or... Arthur Kaliev, or I don't think they would go there with Byfield, but like one of their many like decent name prospect players, Gabe Velarde, one of those guys. Like, is that worth Ivan Provorov? Like a twenty a twenty twenty three first round pick that is probably going to be in the early twenties, and a player with quote you know good upside and potential, but you know what I mean? Like, is that worth it? And I don't know, like. If you're trading an Ivan Provorov, to me, I would rather it be like a hockey deal. Yeah. Like, I would rather you trade Ivan Provorov for Mark Shifley, something like that. Not him exactly, because the age is too different. But, like, 
I'm trying to think of like a good comparable, like a guy, but something of that nature. Somebody or around the same age who can contribute right now at a very high level. Yes. Yeah. Or Patrick Line, let's say. Sure. Something like that. Like if you want to trade Provorov for a Patrick Line, like I still think it's a mistake to trade Provorov, but at least I could see it. If you're going to trade it for like a, you know, a, a young player with a theoretical high ceiling and a first round pick, albeit in an elite draft class, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if uh, that would be worth it because that's a deal that could blow up in your face. And I do think that if Provorov were to go to an L.A., he would be absolutely phenomenal. And the other part about this is, is like, then who's going to be your number one defenseman? That's like, that's my thing is, you know, I, I, for some reason, people really fucking hate Ivan Provorov. And I never quite understood that. I realize he's had some struggles on the ice lately, and I guess people don't like his attitude because the, the the end of season past conference when he absolutely ripped Jordan Hall a new one. But like, I don't know. You know, on terms of on ice, he's eating by far the heaviest minutes, the most demanding minutes. The uh, who's gonna take that role? Is he gonna make Sanheim actually play defense? That seems like a bad idea. You can try York, I suppose, but, you know, again, trial by fire. Maybe he'll rise to the occasion and look good, but he's got, what, 30 games under his belt? You know, who knows what... He would have to be the guy, right? Like, it would have to depend on York. You would think so. I mean, he would ultimately be the crux of it, but, you know, he's 21 years old with 30 games under his belt. Do you, do you throw him in the deep end right away? Do you at least see what he's got this year before making this decision? And... I don't know, man. It's not going to be Ristolainen, and it's not going to be D'Angelo. You know, I don't think Zemul is a top guy in the NHL. I don't Like, Provorov just, he's the guy that's going to go out there and eat those heavy minutes and look pretty good doing so. It just comes down to the quality of partner he has as to what his ultimate play can can top off at. Yeah, I mean... How different from York is Sanheim right now? Uh, those two, like, York feels like a guy, when he reaches his peak, is probably going to be, like, a more complete Travis Sanheim. So... York, to me, is, he's a smart player. Like, I think he's one of the best thinkers the Flyers have on the back end. Like, you yes. can see he just thinks the game very well. Sanheim is, I, I find Sanheim is a very good transition defenseman. And he's not particularly exceptional in his own end. He's no. not particularly exceptional in the offensive zone. No. But kind of when the puck is moving around, like he knows where to be. I that's, find Sanheim, I mean, that's when he looked awesome last year, was when he was entering the zone with the puck. Yeah. And he can exactly. move it. And, you know, and, and everyone always begged for him on the power play, but it's like he's not a point guy. That, that's just not where he was. And he was on the power play for much of the end of last season, just nobody's watching the fucking games. But that's just, that's not his role. Like his best role is carrying the puck into the zone and then setting it up from there. That's when he was looking at his best. The, you know, most of last season, he was playing very well in that regard. And it was the first time, really, through most of his career that he was doing that at a very high level. So I, I understand that level, but from a defensive side, an actual defensive defenseman playing defense. I don't think this guy's anything spectacular. And again, that would worry me when it would come to replacing him as the number one guy when he's eating, you know, top penalty kill minutes and top, you know, whatever minutes. It's just like, holy shit. I don't know if I trust Sanheim to be the defensive defenseman that this team needs. Yeah, which is a valid point. I, I think York would be the crux of it. He kind of, the way he plays kind of reminds me a bit of Ellis, oddly enough. Like, a smaller stature guy, but, like, solid in his own end, versatile. Like, the way that he was able to play on the right side really impressed me. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I like Cam York. It's just that, like, I don't know if you want to force feed that guy, like, too fast. And, like, I guess the the theory would be is that Sanheim would go up a peg, York would go up a peg. But, like, I'm just worried, like, if Sanheim falters, then does York have to take over right away? Like... There's a lot to this, and there's also the question of, like, if Ellis comes back at some point this season and somehow stay healthy, then can you say, well, okay, now we could make, pull the trigger and move Provorov because now we have Ellis. That's a fucking gamble and a half. Even if Ellis comes back and finishes out the year, how much longer does this guy have long term? Well, let's say theoretically, a complete hypothetical here. Yeah. You knew that Ellis was going to give you at least 70 games for the next four seasons, including this season, hypothetically. 
that's not going to happen. So let's just say th- three seasons after this coming one, you knew he was going to get 70 games in each of those years. Would that make you more comfortable to moving Profrov? Yes, but at the same time, if you're going to get 70 games of Ellis for four seasons, just keep Provrov and put him with Ellis! <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> because uh, people, you know, we know that they wanted to say, to um, to see Provrov with Ellis. Yeah. And they looked really good together <laughs> in, the in those three four games. games yeah. <laughs> so... It's fucking crazy. I, don't know. I just don't get it. This feels like a prime opportunity to trade somebody at the trade deadline, get an yep. extra draft pick or two, and then move on with our goddamn lives. Pay York, you know, 900K next year, one-sixth the price of Travis Sanheim's extension. Call up York and Zamula. Have them on the line with Provorov. Hopefully D'Angelo and Provorov work out well together. Just, I mean, Jesus, at least wait till like, halfway through the season before he signs Sanheim. If they fucking pull this contract off in, like, training camp, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. I don't. I don't think so. I, I. I like. I don't. You know what? I I say that, but like they come out with these extensions randomly, and obviously the text I got last week, I wasn't. Um, I was kind of caught off guard a bit. I was expecting like, oh, we're gonna see how the season plays out, blah blah blah. But like, you know, if they lock up Sanheim right away, you're kind of tipping your cap, right? Yeah. Because then you're gonna commit anyway. It's, uh, but like, I, I would hope not. I would hope that maybe like that was just premature. They're trying to be positive, but, uh, we'll see. Right. You know, sometimes they do posturing through guys in the media like us. So, well, you never really know until it's a uh, pen to paper. <sighs> That'll be a, uh, legendary meltdown episode of they signed Sanheim for eight years at six eight. point. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> eight, eight by eight. <laughs> I'd retire. That'd be enough. That would be that would be the breaking point. Another decade of Travis Sandheim. Holy fuck. <sighs> oh Jesus. Oh the Flyers did waiting. make one other move today. May as well throw this in here. They hired Ian McCowan. McEwen, McCowan. McEwen, Macau noun, whatever the fuck his name is. Who gives a shit? Vice President, uh, Athlete Performance and Wellness. After the global search, uh, create a new senior position to implement and oversee a comprehensive athlete performance and wellness program, including training, sports medicine, rehabilitation, sports psychology, sports science, nutrition, and more. So this seems to be their response to the questionable medical staff that was deployed last season that, you know, cleared Derek Broussard five different times only for him to get hurt. Um, this is, uh, it's one of those moves that it felt odd when they hired him because it, they're actually addressing a hole in the organization, which <laughs> is, is unusual for them to do these days. But, uh, you know, probably not going to be a name or person we see very much, but they are seemingly addressing something that has been, of questionable origin in the organization for the last few seasons. So I guess in that role, good job, Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a very it good hurt, hire right? to be. No, and, and like you said, it's something that, and Chuck Fletcher said this when the season ended, that they were going to address this. And look, this was, it was downright, like, inexcusable what was happening last year. Like, how many times did Derek Broussard come back? Three like, or four. It was absolutely insane, and it just was never-ending, and Kevin Hayes as well, and I just think that this is a lot where professional sports is trending as a whole, and the Flyers get out, get out in front of it, and look, they've spared no expense bolstering every part of their organization off the ice, so I'll give them that credit, like, with all the hiring they did with the analytics department, and the the other um the uh what's the other guy who got hired as like director of player personnel or whatever but now you bring in ian McCowan or McEwen, whatever it is <laughs> to kind of spearhead a part of your organization that really faltered last year and really get get out in front of something that everything in is is kind of going in the way of anything in the sports world that is trying to become more player friendly and especially during like COVID years where like it became more tough to, you know, like stay in a good mental space or, you know, get good training in and all this. 
So I think it's a very good hire for the Flyers. You know, for all the negative stuff around this team from an on-ice perspective that happened this offseason, I think this is a pretty good hire. And, I mean, there are still some that have found a way to put a negative spin on it. I do find the Believe global... Believe it or not. I, I think the global search thing is kind of funny, but isn't the guy from... <laughs> the global search. Which, I mean, he is from Ireland, I think, on and was working... safari all year or something. <laughs> so i mean i guess that is technically correct i mean they had to go global to find this guy but i mean uh look i think this is a very good hire for them i think it should be a very important hire for them i'm i'm confident in it and uh, i think it's cool that they're investing this much time into this part of uh, their organization if it means we can make it through next season and not have kevin hayes come back from injury three separate times all right it's a step in the right direction. Maybe they can figure out what the fuck is wrong with Ryan Ellison and bring him back. <laughs> this guy just picks him up, gives him like a suplex, and he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like I, I think that what went what went on with the Flyers last year in terms of like their uh, medical department. I know it's kind of a touchy subject because of the whole story came out about Jim McCrossin and Sal Rafa, and I don't know if this directly affects them at all. But uh, I guess all this to say is that uh, that department, or the old department and the Flyers were not on the same page whatsoever. Yeah, so I uh, again, can't be a bad thing. Somebody comes in and, and handles this kind of thing. They definitely need some direction when it comes to, you know, wellness programs and whatnot, so... Can't be a bad hire. Hopefully he can, uh, you know, do his thing. Like I said, probably a name we're probably not going to hear very often in the grand scheme of things. Um, so behind the scenes doing his job. So good job, Flyers. Way to, you at least addressed some need this year. It would have been great if you had, you know, signed a center. But, uh, you know, this it's just as good, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, baby steps, right? But uh, <laughs> this is an off-ice thing, but uh, I think it's uh, it's weird. I, I've really liked all their off-ice high. Well, I, I guess Tortorella counts as on-ice, but I've more or less liked the moves that they made in off-ice hires, like the, the the analytics director, the new this new guy, Ian McEwen, Tortorella. Like, I, I do like what they've done off the ice, and I do think it, it does speak to Dave Scott that uh, he ha the blank check has kind of come about in some way, at least, even though it didn't really come on the ice, except they are capped out, so I guess that does count as well. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, at least they are doing everything in their power to improve in some capacities, especially off the ice. Now it's about translating to that on the ice, but, I mean, at least they have spared no expense in, in bolstering their organizations in other areas. Yeah, it's... Uh... Something all right. Now we just got to suffer through the on-ice prodding. Yeah, well, that's an entirely different story. But, <laughs> I mean, that's Chuck Fletcher's bed and he, that he made it, right? And, I mean, I don't think everyone's too thrilled in that organization with how that uh, the summer played out. But, I mean, at this point, I guess you, go, you just got to prepare for the future, right? Because even if this season does suck and Fletcher gets fired, you want to be prepared for the next coming years. And I think this is a guy who's going to be instilled in this position for a long time. And, you know, Fletcher or no Fletcher, bad on ice product, good on ice product. This is something that I think you had to tackle eventually. I didn't, uh, I didn't listen to the podcast, but there was a clip on Twitter from nasty knuckles where Brzezgalov says he wants to come back and help the Flyers organization. <laughs> I'd welcome this guy fucking back. I'd let him be the GM right now. I would trust Brzezgalov with my life over Chuck Fletcher. He just doesn't go away. <laughs> He's still on the books until what, 2027, I think? Does he live in Philly? He's still in the area, yeah. I believe so, anyway. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, I guess he could go away if he wants to take it off his, uh, take his cap kit off the books. But well, I guess his cap hit technically isn't on the books. Was a complaint? Oh yeah, it's true. It's true. I guess so. Yeah, it doesn't even affect the Flyers. It's 20, just yeah, twenty twenty six twenty seven is the last season he's under contract. They should have just fucked him. I believe it, uh, fucking kept him on the uh, roster the whole time. Who really like what would have changed over the last handful of years if Brzezgalov just finished out that contract till nineteen twenty? That's crazy, and and it's it's nuts because. His cap hit wasn't even that bad. I think it was like 5.6. 5.6, yeah. So it wasn't even like th that that egregious. 
No, it was just nine years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> nine years. And, like, look, if he wasn't, like, a disaster, and I think he just pissed off a lot of people in the room. I think that's what it was more than his actual play, yeah. The, well, like, the first year was just an up-and-down mess. The second year, I don't think, was terrible, but... Ah, he only ever The good old <laughs> days. Who the fuck knew it would only get significantly worse after that? And I was so excited when they signed him, too. I was, too. Yeah, that season, the 11-12, I really thought they had a chance. And then that was it. That was, the last, that was the last fun time. When they beat New Jersey in overtime in the second series, it was all downhill after their own Danny Breer's goal. It's never been the same sure. since. Yeah. I really <laughs> thought they were going to the finals after they beat the Penguins. Fuck. That series was awesome. I wish Pronger had played in that series. Yeah. He would have killed someone. (laughs) (laughs) If he wouldn't have gotten hurt that year, I think they could have maybe won the cup because I think he would have kept Brzezgalov in check. Man, what could have been? Yeah. Now we're fucking making up excuses to keep Travis Sanheim on the roster. How times change. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, I believe a month from yesterday would have been the start of, well, I guess the first preseason game, the 24th of September. So I'm not, I don't know when training camp starts off the top of my head, but it's coming. It's the end of August already. So in the next couple of weeks here, things should start uh, picking back up. Great. I don't know. There was a part of me, I don't know if I said this on air, we talked beforehand, but I do have the itch. Yesterday for the first time, I was like, man, I could sit down and watch a hockey game again. So... I'm going to hate myself, but the Flyers will be uh, here sooner than uh, they were. I, I guess the sooner it starts, the sooner it can end, right? So um, <laughs> <laughs> just get through this fucking year and get to get to next summer where they can pass up on David Posternock and draft some random fucking dude and, uh, you know, keep up the misery, right? Well, I am also a sucker for just watching new teams. So, like, this I mean, a new team. Well, it's the exact same team that finished last year. Plus I guess Tony I don't D'Angelo. know. I, just, I feel like it's new just because of the coach. Ah, but just I, wait. By the time October ends, I think you'll change your tune. Oh yeah, for sure, hundred <laughs> percent. Sure. But I'm always just goddamn balls deep. optimism. Shit doesn't fly these days. In October, I'm always balls deep, yeah. but it quickly fades. But <laughs> it is what it is. I remember after that Edmonton game. Last year, I was super optimistic. And that road trip, then that West Canada road trip, then that was where everything fell apart. Got shut up by Calgary, and they were never the same. Yeah, no, you're right. <sighs> Fucking Christ! <laughs> All right, everyone. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll be back next week. I have no idea what these schedule looks like these days. No idea. We're just still flying along. Well, everything will get back to some kind of uniform schedule on these shows when when the season picks up. And there's actual things to talk about, but still August, still the dog days of summer. So, a couple more weeks, and uh, we'll get back on some kind of some kind of schedule. I promised. Um, at Dan the Flyer fan at Brotherly Puck at Brotherly underscore Pod. Check out the website BrotherlyPuck.com. All kinds of stuff up there. You can read all the reasons why I fucking hate Travis Sanheim. That was a piece up this week. And, uh, yeah, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Demarco 25 All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.